Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the, what is today, the Wednesday version of the Break the Cycle with DSD show. Let me get my, uh, my other page. Oh, I forgot to open up the, uh, the see, I, I messed up again. Well, I'm just going to jump into it because we have a guest today. So welcome to Break the Cycle with DSD. I am your host, Dwayne. I am not a therapist. I'm an individual much like you who's developed some tips and techniques over the years that I used to help me break the cycle of emotional abuse in my situation, strengthen my relationship with my kids, and basically just get my life back. If, uh, if that sounds like something that uh, would help you, hit the subscribe button. One thing I always like to say is uh, make sure you don't go around throwing diagnoses around. Only a licensed professional in a clinical environment can do that. You don't want to do anything to hurt your own credibility, so be careful with that. Focus on the patterns of behavior. Of course, if you're talking to someone you can trust, you know, say whatever you need to, but don't be going around telling everybody, my ex is an NPD, BPD, comorbid with this and that, and yada, yada. You're not a doctor, unless you are, and even if you are, you shouldn't be diagnosing people in this type of environment. It needs to be in the correct way, so don't hurt yourself with that. Uh, On that, if you want to get the text notification, whenever the show goes live, you can text DSD Live to 844-598-0012, The phone lines will not be open today because I have a guest that I'm going to get into here or introduce here in a moment, but uh, that is is the normal intro. So today's guest is Paul Colioni, the host of the Overwhelm Brain and the Love and Abuse podcast. So he's joining the show today to talk about uh, situations or, or behaviors and the way people speak whenever you go through a breakup with a toxic person. I've been looking forward to doing this for a while. So let's just jump into this and introduce uh, or get Paul on. Paul, good morning. How are you doing today? Good morning, Dwayne. I'm jazzed up. I never heard your intro before, so now I'm really jazzed up. Oh, <laughs> there you go. And then I forgot to, uh, we were getting everything ready, and I forgot to open up my uh, my, my my intro slide, so I didn't do that. But but uh, we've been talking about uh, doing something like this for, for a long time. And, and before, I, before I give you the floor, I just want to say, uh, I do talk about Paul every once in a while, and if you go to my resources tab on my website, I do link the mean workbook that he asked me. I didn't, we didn't work on it together. I was just uh, uh, kind of like a collaborator on it, but uh, it's, it's one of those things that uh, was really cool. So we've known each other for a few years. So Paul, if I didn't do a great introduction on you, can you tell a little bit more about what you have going on and, and maybe some, some of the areas I missed? <laughs> no, you did a great introduction. Uh, maybe people listening don't understand the full breadth of what I do, but I've hosted a show called The Overwhelmed Brain for the last seven years. It's all about regaining or gaining your self-worth, your self-esteem, uh, showing up in the world authentically and doing, uh, making decisions that are right for you and empower, being empowered to do that. And so that show has been very successful as far as how many people listen and share because it offers a lot of techniques that you might not hear anywhere else. And then the Love and Abuse podcast is probably going to be more relevant to the people watching or listening today. Uh, And that is where I talk about emotional abuse, control and manipulation, and how uh, you can deal with situations like that. And ask yourself the real tough questions. Should I stay and work this out? Fix it? Uh, Should I leave because it's safer to do so? Uh, But I've been doing that show for about two years now. So that's been most of my life for the last seven or eight years. Yeah, that's the thing I forgot to mention is that I mean you're you're not a newcomer to the scene. I mean you your podcast is 
is, I mean, approaching 10 years. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, you have, uh, I mean, you have a book that was actually published. Uh, well, okay. I mean, everyone's book is published, but what I mean is, is that, you know, the traditional, it was published the traditional way, right? I mean, it wasn't self-published. I mean, you were, you were approached by a, uh, a publisher to, to, to do that. And all the links for his websites, the book, actually, I think I forgot to do the book, but the book you can find on us. Actually, let me do this. So here's, here's his, uh, his, um, the overwhelmed brain website and the resources. And then the podcast is the main meat and potatoes of it. He does a weekly show. You can find uh, the links for that. And the love and abuse podcast webpage is here. And again, there's that, the mean workbook we were just talking about, and you can get into the podcast there. So uh, yeah, a lot of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Let me say, let me say this. You were not, you know, you weren't a full on collaborator, but your the information that you put out there has been so vital to that workbook along with many others of course but uh you have been putting a lot of information out there for many years now i believe yeah and um I, I, when we met i said one of the first things i said is that you're uh you're one of the people i like to follow that i reached out to because you've been through it you're humble about it you're vulnerable about it and you just put it out there and i think that's why a lot of people resonate and connect with you and so in that workbook, there's a lot of your influence in there. And of course, a lot of your information that you shared with me about what to look for and what you went through as well. So I appreciate your contribution to that workbook. Well, thanks, Paul. I appreciate you saying that. And, I, and just to say that, I mean, we started, I think you reached out to me like three years ago. So the channel was a lot smaller. My, I mean, my, my, you know, it was just a lot er, in the earlier process, so to speak. So, um, sure. and I appreciated you reaching out to me. I mean, and, and I know we've had, discussions over the years. I mean, to be honest, guys, I mean, one of the reasons I do, I do offer coaching now is because of Paul. I mean, way back when he's like, why aren't you doing this? And, and just to be clear, he said that, and it still took me two years to get to the point that I actually started doing that. But, uh, but you were a big catalyst on that. So I I do appreciate that. Great. So let's jump into this, uh, into this topic. Um, and, and, and I think, well, before we jump into that, I just want to say, I've noticed recently with some discussions um, with some of the folks on my Discord and a couple of coaching calls, there are people who are are stuck, still wondering if their ex is a toxic person. And there's the Hoovers and all the different things that happen. And then we were talking before we went online how it's really it's really weird, not weird, because I went through the same thing. So I mean, I can relate to it. But how you know, you can be communicating to somebody what's going on, but you can't see it yourself. But, but you wanted to talk about just the, the, some of the reoccurring behaviors and, and words that people use whenever you're going through a, a manipulative break, breakup. So <laughs> take the floor, yeah, Paul. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, first of all, the topic is wide open. Wherever this goes is great. Uh, we both have the knowledge and the experience and the background to be able to discuss wherever this needs to go. Uh, I think you and I have discussed talking about as you break up or thinking or considering about breaking up with someone that uh, there are are behaviors that you'll observe and be a part of that will certainly affect you to the point where, and this happens more often than not, and I think you can agree, Dwayne, that you'll be more compelled to stay because of those behaviors. It's not like you can say, look, I'm, I'm thinking about breaking up with you or getting a divorce. And they go, 
yeah, that's probably a good idea. This is unhealthy. It, it doesn't work like that. That, that actually might be a, the healthiest response you could get during a breakup or considering the breakup where somebody says, yeah, that's, you know, we need to talk about that. You're right. This has been an unhealthy situation. The unhealthy person or the toxic person is not going to say anything like that. They're going to use several, I wouldn't call them techniques. They're just learned behaviors that they've used to survive over the years. And I've got a bunch of notes on my screen here that we could certainly go through all these behaviors um, and, and, you know, figure out how to deal with this and how to work through it. But what I've noticed is that the behaviors from the other side, as you're considering or talking about breaking up or divorcing, are specifically designed to keep you in. And those behaviors aren't designed to make you love them more. They're actually, most of, most of the time, they're designed to make you feel bad enough to stay. And they know how to press those buttons. And um, again, I said they're not necessarily techniques. I, I, I like to differentiate between a conscious manipulator and an unconscious manipulator. So the conscious manipulator knows they're, they're manipulating you and they don't care how you feel about it. The unconscious manipulator may know that they're manipulating you, but they actually care about you. They actually have empathy, but they still do behaviors because of the survival techniques that they've learned as a child or growing up. And so it's handy to know where they're coming from just to understand it. Not that it makes it any different or you get different results, but it, it can be helpful to understand the difference because if they're very conscious about what they're doing, then you're in a bad situation no matter what. If they are, if, if you say, hey, that behavior that you do hurts me and, and you go off crying and they don't care and, and they say, well, if it hurts you, that's too bad because you should be doing this. You should conform to what I need from you. Then you have someone that you really can't reason with. You really can't. If you want to be in a relationship with someone like that, you're basically putting yourself in the fire and just hoping the fire goes up, which, but it never does. So I don't know if you have any comment on that. No, I do. I mean, I, and I, <clears throat> I think it's, I often think about this. It, people get so wrapped up in why their, their ex does something, you know, it's like, okay, well they're toxic or they're, they, maybe they have a personality disorder. Maybe they're a narcissist. Maybe they have MPD. Uh, you know, maybe they have one of these different things. It, it really, it really boils down to how are you feeling with the person? How are they making you feel? Is it a destructive relationship? Is it something that there's, I mean, all it is, is just chaos and pain. And you really have to look at the root, you know, like the root cause of it and, and what's going on. Because like you said, if, if it's a bad relationship, it's bad. It doesn't matter if, if they do have empathy for you. It doesn't matter if they aren't, you know, Machiavellian, just really doing some nasty stuff at the end of the day, it's, it's not right for you. And staying in it is just basically continuing your torture and holding you from really growing and moving on to the place that you are, are like meant to be, uh, as opposed to just staying stuck in these situations. Well, see if you can attest to this, Dwayne. Uh, most toxic relationships will start off as this person is my soulmate. This is yeah. the best connection ever. They are fulfilling every need and want that I've ever had. I can't believe they're showing up 
this that's I found somebody like this and that somebody shows up like this for me. And so what ends up happening is that that is the moment or those months of attachment that you really get connected, that you really get lured in to a what you believe to be your lifetime last relationship ever. And as soon as that honeymoon period or, you know, whatever you want to call it, wears off and they start showing their real behavior, the rest of the relationship, from my experience with clients, is that you're looking for that first behavior that you saw in the first few months of the relationship. So the rest of the time, you you are convincing yourself, I know it's in there. I know he's this good person or she's this good person because I saw it before. I know it's in there. So you end up convincing. They don't have to do any work on you at all. You just end up convincing yourself that they are this person that they showed up at, as, as first at first, but they're not really because the person they showed up as at first isn't necessarily who they really are. Now, they have it in them to do that, but what they end up doing is uh, turning on their survival instincts again and learning how to manipulate and control you so that they can feel better in, inside themselves. If they have control over you in some sh way, shape, or form or control over their environment, then they feel better in themselves. So this is how the relationship continues is that typically the victim will try to seek out what they saw in the beginning. And when they don't see it, this is, it gets even worse because they try harder. The victim of the abuse typically will, or often will try harder and what that means is they'll they'll please more, they'll accommodate more, they'll give in more, they'll submit more, thinking if I do that, then that original person will will come out again and start treating me nice. I can see you smiling. There's, you must have a comment on that. It's it. Well, I mean, I I spent two decades. That was my that was my entire marriage. I mean, sure. I I I met this person. Uh, let's see, I'll, I'll pull up this comment. You know, it's basically I experienced the love bombing and mirroring stages where that person was everything I ever was looking for. Plus they had some of their own little quirks and their own little family problems. And I'm like, Oh my God, we understand each other. It'll be great. She's, she was telling me everything I wanted to hear, but it's not sustainable when it's fake. It's not sustainable. And then it starts to degrade, but I was constantly, you know, well, this, this isn't the real person. They're having a bad day or, or I've made them mad or are, you know, I'm being the problem, which is causing a problem. So how do I get back? You know, how do I make more money or get the bigger house or, or whatever I needed to do to try to fix the relationship. And then two or 20 years later, 21 years later, I was just so beat down and tired. I just couldn't do it anymore. But that was two decades. I wait, I'd spent two decades in a situation that I can look back now and all the signs were there, even from the beginning that it was not the right relationship to be in. I mean, it, yeah, I, I relate to everything you were saying. It's so, it's so spot on. Well, and like you just said, right from the beginning, the red flags are there. And what ends up happening is that you dismiss them because everything else is great. Yeah. And so a red flag comes up and you think about it and you go, it must be a fluke. You know, yeah. maybe, she, he or she was just mad that day. So everyone has an opportunity to be mad. Everyone, go ahead. No, I was just going to say on, on that, and the key on that, I mean, because you're right, and I didn't mean to cut you off, and thanks for giving me the floor for a second, but, but I just want to say this. If you're having those times where you're, it's a bad day, you need to freaking talk about it 
and you need to be able to have good adult mature conversations and you need to once it's done either you don't have a narcissistic rage that happens then and if that doesn't i mean that's a bad sign if you see that but also on that is make sure that you're not paying for that conversation a week later it's not being held or somehow you know you offended them and they find a way to 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 punish you for saying that communication is so key and if you don't have it that fantasy is a fantasy and it's not real and you i mean that, that and I'll tell you that was my problem i would not have those conversations or when i would try to have the conversations i'd get shut down there'd be a rage or you know just a a, a verbal onslaught and attack and i would just shut down and like okay well this is just a bad moment make excuses for it. And then a few days later, whenever I would get a breadcrumb or something, I'm like, oh, okay, there's a, there's a glimpse. There's a glimpse of what, uh, what used to be there. And it's just, uh, and it's that, fake. That's you looking for that old feeling too. Exactly. You're looking for that old, old communication, old feeling, old connection. Well, not old, but the one that yeah, you, yeah. the original. Yeah. The original. And when you can't get it, then you're going to, you, like you said, you dismiss it or you, you make an excuse or, and you move forward and you know this is sort of at the you know we started talking about the end of a relationship and this is sort of at the beginning of a relationship when you're looking for these signs yeah and i think it's so vital like what you just said about communication but very specifically uh and some of the specific words you can say at least to yourself at first is like whoa what just happened you know this person <laughs> just did this behavior or said this thing and inside your mind ask yourself what just happened because this is out of the norm uh this doesn't feel right and really acknowledge that really even now no matter how long you've been in a relationship really acknowledge that what just happened because this doesn't feel right this is not this doesn't feel normal this doesn't feel healthy this doesn't feel supportive and so you start to evaluate everything that a relationship should be your relationship values and you 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 compare it to what's going on today and, and you ask yourself, okay, is this within my relationship values? Is this within my relationship boundaries? And when you find out that it's not, you actually have to be honest with yourself. I don't like this behavior. And that's not necessarily that you just jump up and say, hey, I don't like that behavior. Never do that again. Although it's not a bad idea. <laughs> but there's usually a work in where you say, hey, do you real? And this is a, an important question, I think, to ask a partner or anyone that's doing this to you. Uh, do you realize that what you just did hurt me? Or do you realize what you just did uh, uh, made me feel bad? And I think it's a very good question because this is when you find out if they're a conscious manipulator or an unconscious manipulator. Because the unconscious manipulator, and I'm not trying to separ separate into only two, but right, right. just the majority of, the unconscious manipulator is going to be like, I didn't know I hurt you. I'm sorry about that. That's the unconscious manipulator with empathy that's actually going to say, I, I didn't know that was hurting you. I, I, I didn't mean to hurt you. I, I'm sorry about doing that. I, I don't yeah. mean to hurt you. That's, that's a good response. That's a healthy direction. The conscious manipulator, it may be, I'm, again, I'm not trying to just label and this is the only things they do, but typically what they'll do is like, they'll say, uh, uh, no, I didn't. I didn't hurt you. They'll invalidate. They'll find ways to make you wrong. Uh, and again, they can both do this, but they won't care. It, like you are showing signs of hurt and pain and they still don't care enough to make your pain the priority. 
And this is what you have to be aware of when somebody you're with is not making your pain the priority and they would rather just be right about what they're doing and be on top or priority or uh, what do they call it? A, an alpha or a dominant themselves. Yeah. And without, without caring about where you are, then you have somebody that you really can't again, uh, work things out with very easily because you told them that what they did hurt you and they didn't make your pain a priority. So where does that put you? That means you have to go back in and go, okay, do I want this in my life? And these are tough questions because after you develop the commitment and the connection and the attachment, how do you get out of that? So, yeah, no, that's a great point. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you get into that sunk cost. It's like, well, I've been in, I've been in this relationship for a few years or for a decade or for, you know, and you just like, well, I've already invested the time. I can't just walk away, but I want to, I want to hit on something that's a, a little bit kind of the opposite of this is whenever somebody is using that to try to using the, Hey, you hurt me to manipulate you. Right. I mean, cause there's also a flip side to that, to where they'll constantly be, yeah. be using that, that, uh, those type against of words you. against you. And I, and I'll, yeah. I mean, to be honest, for full disclosure, there were times where my ex would say, you know, well, you did this and it hurt me. And I'm like, are you making me, you know, you're making me feel like this. I'm like, how in the hell am I making you feel like that? I mean, so it, honestly, I mean, in a, in a way I'm was kind of taking the role you were just talking about. Right. I mean, but I, I think what, what, yeah. in, what ends up happening is, is you get, you get caught up in this, this dysfunctional nightmare and you're also just surviving too. And, and the, la- the last thing I just want to say, or I want to ask is, I mean, do you see with a lot of your, your coaching calls and stuff that typically when someone like, like in my situation, who's been in, in it for so long, there's childhood wounds that I hadn't dealt with. So even though it was a toxic environment, it felt comfortable. It felt like home. Do you see that a lot? Yeah. You, know, you, you, you got two different subjects here, and I want to address the first one. Okay. Keep in mind the second one about the childhood wounds. The first subject was, hey, they're doing this behavior to me. They're saying that I'm hurting them. This is so common. I'm glad you brought it up because this is often what happens is that you will learn empowerment tools for yourself, and you will start to use those empowerment tools on them, not on them, but for you, saying things like, hey, do you realize what you just did hurt me? This empowers you to honor your boundaries and empowers them to answer and uh, in a way that gives them an opportunity to recognize and acknowledge and work things out. It's, a, it's all, empowerment all around for everyone, empowerment for everyone. And, and I think it's a great way to approach it. Now, but when they say, you know, you hurt me, what you just said hurt me, they'll use it against you. And this is very common, unfortunately, is that all your empowerment tools they will start to use against you. Yeah. So you'll say something that honors yourself, honors your boundaries, gives them an opportunity to speak, non-judgmental safe space to talk about it. And then they'll turn it around and use it against you, putting you on the defense. The whole uh, technique manipulation is putting you on the defense, keeping you explaining yourself, keeping you defending yourself. So you have to be very aware of when they do that, because as long as you're on that low end and they're on the high end looking down at you and you feel like you have to defend yourself or explain yourself, then you're always going to be in that position because that's where they feel the most powerful. So when they start using this stuff against you, the, the process that I like to uh, share with people is to say, 
uh, is to respond in the, in the following way. So let's just say they, they say, well, you hurt me. Everything you do hurt me. I think the victim of emotional abuse needs to say something like, okay, you may be right about that. So let's talk about the way I feel, and then we'll talk about the way you feel. So what you're doing is saying, you're acknowledging that, okay, it could be true. They could feel hurt. It could be true. They, they could have some sort of pain going on, and the childhood trauma that you're talking about could work on both sides. Uh, but okay, you might be right about that. So let's talk about what I just said, that what you did or said hurt me, and then we'll talk about what I did or said hurt you. Now, that still may not go well, but what you're doing is giving the opportunity to talk about both, uh, both people. It gives them an opportunity to uh, explain what's going on with them and explain what's going on with you. So they're trying to turn around so that you defend yourself. Yeah. And, and if you are in that space of, well, I, I didn't mean to hurt you. That's not what I'm doing, because that's what happens. The victim of emotional abuse will often go, that's not what I'm doing. This, that's not what I'm doing. They get frustrated. They get confused because that's what's, that's what's coming from the other side. So if you say, okay, that's good. We'll talk about that too. Suddenly, they don't really see you on the defense. They don't see you explaining it. And now they have to, now they have to acknowledge that they have to talk about it as well. Now, again, I know sometimes this isn't going to go well. They're going to find other ways to turn it against you. Yeah. So there's that part of it. If that happens, I think it's a good idea to say, okay, you might be right that I'm doing that too. And I want to learn about myself. I want to heal that in myself as well. So let's talk about how you make me feel. And then we'll talk about how I make you feel. Perfect world. That would be great. It doesn't always work that way. Well, but you know, the thing is, I just want to jump in on here and say the key part yeah. about that is if you, if I would have, see what I would do in those situations is I would just shut down. I would stop talking because I learned going back to my childhood, you know, my childhood is when I started being verbally attacked by my mom, trying, she was really smart and fast. So if anything you said would be used against you, you know, it would basically just be whacked right back at you. So I learned early on, just shut up. Don't say anything. Don't engage. Just, you know, kind of like, uh, I guess the, the freeze response. And, but, but what you just said, I mean, is really the key, right? I mean, if you cannot have that difficult conversation and at the end of the day, have a positive outcome from it, that is a huge indicator of a very serious problem. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the childhood trauma, how you learned how to respond, to survive, to cope, all your coping mechanisms kick in. And we take all these learned childhood responses, our traumatic uh, or our traumas that we learned from and bring them into our adult relationships when we move out of the house. And now we're experiencing or we're doing the same behaviors and saying very similar things that we did as a child. And it's not productive. It's not healthy. And you know, what do you do about that? So this is the second part of your original question is that you're in a situation where this back and forth is going on, or you always feel like you're explaining yourself or defending yourself. How do you get through that without pulling up the old childhood stuff? And does it mean, and this is kind of where I go with it. Does it mean I have to heal my childhood trauma first before I'm in a place to be able to have a productive conversation or a healthy relationship? I think yes. And no, meaning you can, I mean, it's absolutely necessary to work on your childhood trauma if you are dealing with your childhood trauma, if it's affecting your life. 
absolutely. I will, I will not put anyone down for that. I do it all the time. <laughs> I work on my childhood trauma. Whatever comes up, I need to process it. I need to heal from it. I need to work on it. That is number one, absolutely. At the same time, do you always have to go into the past and work on your inner child? You know, I have a different outlook on this than some people where I believe that behaviors that you do today can reverse engineer some of the trauma that you've experienced in the past. And it, as you do empowering behaviors today, some of that childhood trauma tends to heal itself. So this is not oh, a PhD a good... talking. No, I understand what is, you're saying. It makes a lot of sense. This is a process that I've used with myself, with clients where, okay, you know what? Childhood trauma is kicking in and Dwayne, you go silent. So when you were in that relationship, you just shut down. And I, I totally get that feeling. I've been there. Um, and when you shut down, that is maybe a childhood response because your mom used to do that to you. So next time, Dwayne, here's what I'd like you to say uh, when you feel like shutting down or here's what I'd like you to do when you're shutting down is again, and acknowledge what's going on inside of you. Okay. I, I feel like I need to shut down. You have to acknowledge this stuff. You can actually start to build the pattern inside of you that gives you, gives you the steps that you're taking to get there. So let's just say that you're having a conversation or an argument with someone and they're emotionally abusive and you feel something started to happen. Like the first thing you feel is like, oh, that makes me feel bad. Acknowledge this stuff inside of you. We're so outside ourselves in the conversation, in the argument, in the heat of the moment, instead of going back in in a healthy way and saying, okay, this stuff is happening. I'm, I look at that as being your own observer. Like you're stepping outside of yourself. You're dissociating from yourself, watching yourself experience this argument or whatever's happening. Right. And you can, you can see yourself and you can watch yourself and say, okay, you're feeling bad right now. Just acknowledge that I'm feeling bad. Okay. You, you want to shut down. Okay. I want to shut down at that moment. That's true. You start breaking this uh, old pattern down that was very unconscious and making it conscious. It, it starts to help you understand when things start so that it doesn't happen automatically in the future because typically it happens automatically you shut down there's your protection yep. i'm out of here i don't want to deal with this and as you break that down the future conversations you have is okay here's the first part where i feel bad here comes the second part where i want to shut down or whatever the steps are for you and then you realize okay this is the part i want to shut down and at this point is where you can break the pattern because you've made it a conscious process instead of an unconscious process so inside you, you are thinking, okay, this is the point I shut down. So instead of shutting down this time, and this is where it's like a leap of faith. I've never done anything else but shut down. So what do I do? Instead of shutting down this time, this time, I'm going to say, hey, do you realize, you know, something like this, do you realize what you just said hurt me? So, you know, that might go bad because they've never seen that behavior before. And it's going to oh, be yeah. a, a threat to their uh, control over you. And so that comes out, but at least you took a step outside your old unconscious pattern of shutting down. So this can be very helpful in a way of healing past trauma, because once you do that and you know, you survived that, even though you didn't get good results, or maybe you did, uh, then you know, you can do it again. And once you do it again and again, you start, you, you, you don't have to respond from old trauma anymore. You respond from new, newly learned behaviors. So you actually start conditioning yourself in the present to respond 
differently with more empowerment behind every response. And so that trauma doesn't kick in anymore. So I think it's a, it's a th something you have to practice and it, it oh, does absolutely. take time. But I, I remember doing this, just a 30 second story. I remember doing this, honoring my boundaries for the first time with someone very scary because I'd never done it before. When, when a, a thought comes to mind, I always ask myself the question. I mean, back then I, I came up with the question of if, uh, if there were no consequences to what I wanted to do or say in this moment, what would I do or say? So I think that's a great question to ask yourself. If there were no consequences or if I had no fear of the consequences, even better, if I had no fear of the consequences of, um, of what, I want, what I really want to do or say, what would I do or say? And when the answer comes up, there's your most empowered response. Yeah. And the trick is getting to that empowered response and doing it so that once you do it, you get past it. So I, that might have been, a, yeah. No, no, I think that's spot on. I mean, and I, you know, as you were talking about that, I was kind of thinking about it in the past. And, and in some ways, I would, I would recognize that I was shutting down, but, uh, but I wouldn't, I wasn't doing it in that way where I would slow myself down and do that kind of like, all right, let's take a, you know, let's take a real time look at what's going on. It was more like, like you were just saying, it's like, okay, I am going to, you know, I mean, I'm just following this process and just, just doing it. But, uh, all that does is it just keeps those, those patterns. And when you don't break it, it just keeps it going. It just, I mean, you're just going to basically the, the same tired or, you know, tired thing that you've tried is going to get you the same tired result. I didn't say that right, but, but you know what I mean? I mean, it's just, you know, it, you, you owe it to yourself to not spend two decades or more in a really in, in a situation to where you're constantly just being beat down, just, just hoping for the breadcrumbs of that past person. It, it's just, it's not going to happen. I mean, and when I, one other thing I just want to add on this is that, you know, when my marriage was, was completely falling apart, there was a period of time where I'm like, Oh my God, we're going to actually learn better communication skills. This is going to get better. We'll look back at this as it being kind of inner, you know, funny almost is kind of the way I was approaching it at first. And then I quickly realized, Oh dear God, that's not the way this is going to go down. Mm. It went down completely differently. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. I had to go through that. And, 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 you know, this is where your experience comes in, your history comes in to be able to share with others. And as we talk about this stuff, the new behaviors, I think the new behaviors are the key. Uh, oh, absolutely. As, as far as, as far as how you respond, I just had an episode, I think it was in the overwhelmed brain where uh, everyone knows the, the, the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing and getting the, and trying to get different results. Yeah. Uh, it, it can't be more true, especially in an unhealthy relationship. It cannot be more true in the sense that everything seems to uh, result the same way or give the same outcome every time. So someone gets upset and then they, let's just say the toxic person expresses their upset to you in some way that is hurtful. You feel hurt. You do your same old pattern, whether it's cry, oh, yeah. defend yourself, yell back, shut down, whatever it is. But if you do that pattern the same way every time, it actually enables their next pattern. So you have, you can, you're agreeing, you, yeah. you have your steps, they have their steps, and every, every single uh, behavior that you're seeing is enabling the next behavior. 
So this is very good to know, like the, being the observer of yourself, which I know is difficult because when the mountain lion's staring you down, you just don't separate yourself and go, okay, I notice that I'm <laughs> feeling fear. I you just, I understand, I, I get it, but you have to do this. And maybe you can do this in not so dangerous moments that you feel endangered. Um, but you do this in the moment and you get the patterns and you understand, okay, every time this happens, like Dwayne, I shut down. Every time this happens, I shut down. So now I know my own pattern and my shutdown elicits behavior from that person that I don't like, or they just take off and they just say, well, screw you. I'm, I don't have to deal with you anymore. And they walk away. So every time I shut down, they do that. So my shutdown helps to enable that behavior. It's not my fault. I'm not blaming you for that. I'm just saying this, my shutdown, it, it's probably what they want from me. My shutdown is probably what they want to happen. Uh, uh, you know what, as you're saying that, I mean, that was exactly what would happen. There would be an argument. I might try to say something and then I would get the, it would escalate. I would shut down and it would still escalate. And then finally I would just end up, you know, going back and taking a nap or something. I mean, but you are absolutely right. It was, it was uh, definitely enabling behavior. And the other thing I'll add on to that is when I finally started to change and just realized that I didn't want to live this way anymore and was making changes, it's, it, it rocked the foundation and the power dynamic, <clears throat> excuse me, of the relationship. And the ex or at the time, my wife was, was working very hard to get that power back. I mean, so things it, for me were getting like on the, on this upward, you know, things were getting better. And it's like at the peak of it, the whole foundation got ripped apart and it was just chaos was be, being created. And I, I can see it now that it was a, a, a desperate attempt to like, no, 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 you can't leave. You can't, you can't go up higher on the mountain. You have to come back down, come back down. And it was, mm -hmm. it was, uh, I mean, it was, mm -hmm. it was pretty toxic. Hey, I want to grab one uh, question that uh, Miami babe had asked. And it was, uh, says, what about the ones who initiate the breakup and keep coming back just to break up again? And it goes on to say, is that a common behavior for narcissistic people? What about the ones who initiate the breakup? So they break up and then they keep coming back. Well, you know, if we're, if we're talking about narcissism, narcissists and a lot of emotional abusers that aren't labeled narcissists need supply. They, they need that fulfillment. They, the supply is whatever behaviors you're doing. And even if that's a, a sexual supply, I mean, a lot of, it's almost always sex, quite honestly. It's like, I don't, I don't have sex anymore, so I'm coming back. But there's also, oh, okay. other, there's also other behaviors that they do. But yeah, if they, if they break up and then they come back, first of all, they like the adoration. If, if, if they come back and you accept them in their life, it's probably because they said something that made you feel good. And then they felt good. And they know that they're going to treat you nicely. So you, they're going to come back. Or you're going to treat them nicely, so they're going to come back and vice versa they believe you believe that they're going to treat you nicely so they come back it's a, a dysfunctional dynamic that can i mean it's a good question too because this happens all the time the one the emotional abusive person breaks up and you think that would be like freedom okay the emotional abusive person yeah. like me this is freedom but then they are contacting you and they're breadcrumbing you and they're they're putting out these breadcrumbs and they're saying you know i miss you and i'm sorry about what happened and i think we can change things i think it can go better but it's not because they really care about you and want you to be happy. 
It's because, oh, I realize I either A, can't get sex or uh, B, I, I need someone to adore me and, you know, put me in a higher position of some sort um, or whatever they're, whatever they're looking for for supply. So they come back feeding, refeeding themselves with that supply. So I think this question is probably deeper than uh, the way I interpreted it. And maybe I'm not answering it the right way. Maybe you have some more to say on this, but the return is typically the dysfunctional cycle that repeats itself. Every time they return, the behavior returns. It's always like great for the first two days or whatever. And then suddenly it goes back to the way they want it. I think the narcissist wants the control back. Yeah, and it really can't stand being out of control. Oh, yeah. And and it's also a test to see how much you can put up with. Right. I mean, it's like, OK, so if we had if you break up either. Well, I mean, it could be a couple of different things. It could be the person breaks up with you just to cause you pain and then goes you and, and makes, you know, drives you emotionally crazy to see how much you will you will accept and then come back and see if you'll just ignore all that. And I'll tell you, my from my experience, uh, especially dealing with people, it just gets worse. If you go back and you let that person back in, they're just going to be like, okay, well, I was able to do this much and you, and that was your normal. And then I pushed you here and you broke. So, but now I'm back. So now this is the baseline and now I'm going to start pushing here. And, and it's just, it's when you, you know, if, when a relationship's over, <laughs> it needs to be over unless you guys can come back together and, and the actions and the words follow each other. There's good communication. There's mature communication you got, you got to stay away from the person. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's just a dysfunctional thing. And I, and I'll just to add on to kind of what I think you were saying. It's so easy whenever you're in that mode and the person comes back and they give you the breadcrumb and you feel a little bit better. And maybe you're worried about, Oh my God, I don't want to be alone or I'll never get anybody. So I, I, you know, I have to put up with this because no one else will want me because you fundamentally feel like you're broken because you haven't probably worked on, on your things. But, but I mean, the short answer to and it, the short answer on it is when people are coming back and they're hoovering around, that's a bad, I mean, that, that's a, that's a red flag. I mean, it's not a, well, it, you know, yeah, go yeah, ahead. It's also the victim of the abuse, uh, experiencing the trauma bonding, the, the, the way they, uh, felt like abuse is part of love. So they also yeah. are looking for that old original version of that person. I mean, there's so much involved there. That's why it's, they're usually taking them back. Um, I've only ever seen, like I emotional abusive people can change. I, I, I've told you, Dwayne, I was an emotionally abusive person in my marriage and I didn't even know I was. So I was kind of unconscious about it. Uh, I wasn't as extreme as some of the examples I've seen in the world, thank God. But I noticed how judgmental I was, how critical I was. And I had to go through a major healing process and major steps in order for me to not be that person anymore but it still cost my marriage it still came grow into a yeah. divorce um so I, I i tell you that with much transparency because i i'm i've come from the other side of this i've built all i've been on both sides really but i've been that person that uh, have made my partner feel bad but i also think that a lot of, of us have made our partner feel bad in many ways um, not that I'm giving myself an excuse, but I, I really feel like that I've seen, not feel like, but I've seen emotionally abusive go through their changes, heal and get through it. But to your point, you really have to have some sort of enlightening, major enlightening, big time moment 
the emotional abuser has to go through that enlightenment and realize, oh, so what I'm doing is hurting you. And yeah. I don't, and, and, and if the emotionally abusive person has empathy and they go, I don't like hurting you, that makes me feel bad. Then I believe there's a chance the emotional abuser can change and get on a better track. Now, it may not mean it fixes the relationship. That relationship still may need to end. Yeah. But the emotional abusive person needs to come to that enlightenment. So when they come back in the relationship, unless they've had that enlightenment where they say, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm hurting you or some sort of vibe like that, then it's very difficult to see those changes otherwise. Well, I think the key in what you're talking about is that there's there's actions that go along with the words, right? I mean, because typically what will happen is an, an abusive person will leave. And then when they come back, they'll do the lip service saying, oh my God, I miss you. Oh, I've changed. Oh, I've had this epiphany. But the discernment of di figuring out whether it's legit or not, it, it's easy. Well, it's relatively easy. It's like the actions. It's like they can say all those things, but now I could, so like in your example, I mean, you know, if you're in a relationship and, and you had that epiphany and you come back and, and you say, hey, look, I, I'm trying to be better. And then they call you on it and you're like, oh crap, you're right. And you stop. I mean, that's a, that would be a good indicator that there, that something positive has changed is that, uh, like, yeah. you know, I mean, hypo hypothetically role-playing here, if we were in a relationship and, uh, and we had that, that, that extent, Hey man, it's the two thousands or the 2020s anyways. But, uh, you know, if we had, a, had a problem and I said, Paul, man, you know, that, that I, dude, you're doing that stuff again. And if you go, Oh, Oh crap. All right, let me take, you know, take a pause. That's an indicator that something's good. If it's like turns into a rage, that would be an indicator that it's not <laughs> changed. Yeah. Sorry about that example. <laughs> no, that's great. That's a good example. And and but my girlfriend does that to me or she has done that to me at least two or three times in our relationship. Yeah. She said to me once, "You're treating me like you treated your wife." And wow, I mean that was eye-opening. I, I I just I was shocked. And I had to stop and I had to think about that. And I had to, and I had to just step away and really get inside myself and work on myself and process this moment because if she's sensing this, then, Hey, where's my healing now? You know, where's my enlightenment now? So I can't just say that I'm uh, healed if I, if this stuff is still coming out. Now, thankfully I've been working on that and it, whenever it comes out, which I haven't seen in a while and she hasn't either, uh, it's, it, it is, you know, it's, this is the childhood stuff. Yeah. This is the inner turmoil and trauma that comes up and creates surviving or survival mechanisms in us so that we access that when we have no other resources or tools to access, or we have fear that kicks in. So, you know, I, I hear from a lot of emotionally abusive people and I hear from a lot of emotional abuse victims that tell me the same thing. They, they will, the victims will say, um, I do this behavior too. And, yeah. and the emotional abuse and the emotional abusers will say, I am doing this behavior and it's very hard to stop. And so we have to break that apart. But the, I've noticed on the, on the victim side, I'll ask him this question. And this is a good question for anyone watching or listening is that did, are, did you always do this behavior or did it start after the relationship? Because if you didn't always do this behavior, especially in other relationships, and it started after the relationships, then what you're doing is trying to get your needs met. The only way that works with a manipulative or controlling person is by being manipulative and controlling. 
It's the only language they understand. It's the only way they'll fall for falling back in love with you or showing you any kindness or respect. And so you have to do behaviors to get your needs met. So this will often change the behavior of the victim in this type of relationship. And that can go all kinds of bad ways. But then the victim thinks that they're abusive too, when in reality, they're just doing it to get their needs met, which is, I mean, we could say that about the abusive person as well, but it had to develop in the relationship. And that created a behavior that they didn't necessarily want to do, but they had, they believed they had no choice to get love and attention. I think they call that narcissistic fleas. And, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a, a, that, that is a common step that people go through when, when this, when they're trying to figure it out and maybe they're doing, here's the thing. If you're worried about and you're doing research to try to make things better, you're probably not the problem. But what will happen is, is you'll start looking at that and you'll like, oh, you'll look at that list, that laundry list of stuff. And you're like, oh, crap, I do that. Because I, I remember I had that conversation with my therapist at one point. I'm like, holy hell, you know, I do this, I do this, I do this. And she's like, you're, you're not a, no, that's not, mm -hmm. you know, but you're right. You, you, you start, you subconsciously just start trying to figure out how to deal with things in the moment just to basically survive. I mean, it's a, it's a great yeah, point. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I, and go ahead. No, I was going to say the only other thing I was going to ask is, I mean, it's, uh, actually I just lost it. Never mind, You take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really great point as far as, because a lot of uh, victims will blame themselves. And even when they know they're not doing the behavior, they still blame themselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I didn't do this right. I'm, I'm, I need to do it differently next time. Um, and all these, all this self-blaming and then, you know, the typical victim of nar uh, narcissistic abuse or emotional abuse is going to start not trusting themselves, not trusting their own decisions. They're going to feel guilty a lot. They're going to take responsibility for all the problems in the relationship instead of only the ones they created, which is very few. And you said something key, which is if you're doing the research, trying to figure out how do I fix this relationship? What, what can I do better to make this relationship better? How can I show up as a better partner? If you're doing all that work, then A, you care. B, you're probably kind, caring, generous, and supportive, uh, empathetic, sympathetic. You're probably all the good qualities that any healthy partner would love to complement the relationship. Um, and if they're not doing any of that and they say, it's all you, you're the problem and you're causing the problems and you take that on, then what you've done is continue their dominance and continue their control over you. Because if, because every relationship takes two, there's an equal amount of effort and work from each person. And yeah. if one person does all the work, then it's no longer a relationship. So. I'm going to be a little tough love here. If you are in a quote relationship and you're doing all the work to fix it, they're not going to therapy. They think it's all you, you have to do the work. You have to fix yourself. If they're saying all that stuff, then you're no longer in a relationship. It, it doesn't exist. So now you're by yourself trying to fix something that doesn't exist. So it's very important that you understand what a relationship is and what you want it to be. And you understand what a relationship means to them and what they want it to be. This is relationship values 101. What, is, what are your relationship values? Well, I want to be with someone who's honest and cares about me and makes me laugh and this and this. And what are their relationship values? They're not going to say, well, I want to be able to control someone and I want to be able to. They're not going to say those things. They'll probably give you something else. 
but it's important to know and define those for yourself. So when the, those values are violated, you can understand, oh, this is no longer a relationship because I'm doing all the work and they have no, they don't want to be involved at all. Even if they know they're 100% right. Like when I was in my marriage, I knew I was right. I knew that I knew what she needed to do to meet my sky high standards. I knew I was right. But when she said, we need to go to couples therapy, I said, okay, let's do it. So I gave in, even though I knew I was right, because I figured, okay, the therapist is just going to side with me anyway, which I didn't necessarily want because that's not a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if they're willing to give and work on this stuff, there's a chance. But I think today's uh, conversation really leads to what happens when there's a breakup and what will you end up going through and what will you end up hearing from them and what will you end up feeling? And we kind of touched upon that many times, you know, you break up and then they come back and the breadcrumbing and the hoovering terms, which if you don't know, you should probably learn because once you learn these terms, what's going to happen is that you're going to say, Oh, that's, that's what's happening to me. I didn't know that was a term. And Dwayne talked about uh, labeling earlier. Like, okay, we can't label them a narcissist. We can't diagnose them. We can't label them a sociopath. We can't diagnose them. Absolutely true. But at the same time, you yourself can put a label on what's happening when you look up these terms, when you see a bunch of items that, that point out what they're doing and you say, oh, so that's what's happening. I finally have a label for it. I finally have a term that I can understand. Excuse me. They're they're hoovering. Oh, I understand that now. So now when I see that behavior, I can tell myself they're hoovering. This is exactly what they're doing. And, this, and they want me to feel a certain way. So this, again, becomes your own observer, you are becoming your own observer, like, oh, or the relationships observer. Oh, they're hoovering right now. Oh, they're breadcrumbing right now. Oh, they're love bombing that came up earlier. They're love bombing right now. Oh, they're trying to mirror me right now learn all these terms so that when it happens, you're conscientious of it. And you realize it's part of a controlling manipulative behavior, so that you're less likely to fall for it, because you fall for it by getting lured in to those behaviors. And once you're lured in, now you become now you you attaching to your survival techniques or your, your old trauma that you're trying that you haven't healed from yet. And that means you're very uh, unconsciously fight or flight controlled. No, I think, you know, I just wanted, I, cause I know we're starting to run out of time. What are some of the, the main things that, that, uh, people are going to try to say at the end of the relationship? I mean, what, what do you see? Like, what are the, 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 the top, you know, five, I guess that you're seeing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's something that everyone needs to know. Um, this is from, uh, the mean workbook. I'm just going to read you some of the things I have in here. One of the first things that happens are guilt trips. And a lot of these happen throughout the relationship. So the guilt trips are like um, things that they'll say are like, after everything I've done for you. So after all the stuff we went through, after everything I've done for you, after that car I bought you, after I paid for the house, they're going to put this on you. And they're going to take it out of the relationship context and all the problems and put it in a, uh, a, a package that makes it about you and you alone. And what this does, everything I'm pretty much talking about today, both of us are talking about, is taking the spotlight off of them 
and putting it on you. If the spotlight's on you, not them, then they don't have to explain themselves. They don't have to spend any time defending themselves, explaining themselves. They just put it back on you because they know you'll inflect. They know you'll reflect about what they just said. And they also know that you care about not hurting other people. So you're going to be like, oh, did I hurt him? Did I hurt her? What did I say or what did I do? I don't want to do that again. They know you. So they'll put you on the defense and they'll make you feel guilty. So the guilt trips are big time in a relationship, but especially during a breakup, because now they're going to pull it, reach further in their bag of tools and make you feel even worse than you've been feeling because they don't want you to necessarily love them more. They just want you to feel worse so that you don't hurt them. They want to play on your ability of caring about them. So they know that you don't want to hurt anyone, especially them. So they're going to make you think that you're hurting them. So be aware of this. The guilt trips are big. Uh, a few more, just I'll read them out here. Excuse me. You're, you're a terrible person and a disappointment to our children. Now I'm reading you these because I want you to be prepared to hear them. You're a terrible person and a disappointment to our children. If you had, you know, taken Johnny to the park that day, but you didn't, this is how bad of a mother or father you are. They're going to throw these at you and it's going to hurt. And I want you to be conscious of them. So when it happens, you can say, oh, I'm prepared for this. This is a technique because it doesn't matter if they mean it or not. They're trying to make you feel bad, bad and guilty, putting you on that uh, explaining and defending yourself path. Another one is, how could you do this to me? I'm going to kill myself. This is a common one. One of my most popular podcasts slash articles on love and abuse is, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's when they threaten to kill themselves. It's the ultimate in, in emotional abuse. If anyone's ever done that to you, read that or listen to that. Another one is you're making a huge mistake. You don't want to make a mistake. So you start thinking and you start wondering what you can do differently. And you might think that they're right. And they try to make you think that you're right. They're right, but they're often not. Uh, a couple more. Aren't you worried that your, what your parents or your friends will think? Aren't you worried that your parents will think you're a failure? So, I mean, these are obviously very specific, but I'm, again, telling you to prepare you for what you'll hear. They're going to use things in your life against you. So there's, these are the guilt trips. Last one is, I can't believe you'd put our children in harm's way. What are you doing? Uh, what you're doing will destroy them and it'll be all your fault. So they're going to just lay it on, lay it on fully. Again, these may not be specific to your circumstances, but um, that's one of the things guilting. Man, I'll, I'll, you know, you, as you were listing those off, I was going, yeah, I remember that one. Hey, I remember that oh, one boy. too. Oh yeah, there was that one, you know? I mean, just, I mean, it, you had, had to go through that. Oh, oh yeah. God. And lots of shaming, you know, just lots of shaming tactics, you know, and, and, you know, just really putting it on, on thick, on thick. So, man, we're wow. starting to run wow. out of time, Paul. I, man, I really appreciate you. It's amazing. These hours just fly by. Uh, it, oh, wow. It's been an hour. It, yeah. Like, we're I like, go through these <laughs> bullet points, like 30 seconds if you want, or we can. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. So questions and comments designed to make yourself, make you doubt yourself. So be aware of this. Anything that causes you to make you doubt yourself. Uh, one example is, do you really think you're going to get any, anywhere else at your age? Do you really think anyone else is going to find you attractive? These are techniques. These are, you know, these are the tactics of the manipulation. Don't think these are true. These are just tactics. 
uh, false promises or grandiose gestures like, I promise I'll change. Just give me three more months. Or look, I'm texting him or her right now. I'll, th I'll, I'll tell them not to ever call me again, you know, if they're cheating or something. I'll throw away my phone. All these grandiose promises. You want to watch out for that. Uh, outright lies, name calling or low blows. I think we all know what this means. Uh, but some of them include like, I never loved you anyway. Like, Whoa, that's going to hurt. I never loved you anyway. It's a tactic. It's a manipulation. It's causing you to make you feel bad about yourself. Because if you feel bad about yourself, who's there to love you? The abusive person. Uh, a couple more. Passive manipulation disguised as supportive behavior. Like, um, let's not go through the lawyers. That will cost us a lot of money. So let's not go through lawyers. That's passive manipulation because what they end up doing is finding the worst lawyer they can find while you're thinking, oh, we don't need lawyers. That's great. We can work this out amicably. You know, watch out for that kind of passive manipulation. Um, I, I guess that's it on my list. Uh, one more passive manipulation is I called your mom and told her you were okay. Wait, you called my mom and told her I was okay? What are you doing there? That's kind of weird. So things like that, this is all part of the tactics and techniques you just have to be aware of. Um, I might have to give you this list, Dwayne, and maybe you can do something with it. And uh, it's in the mean workbook anyway, but uh, it can be helpful for people to know all these quotes and the things that they might hear. Well, I just want to say, I mean, it, that, that's the reason why I was excited to to work with you on the mean workbook, because I mean, it, it, what you just ran through, I mean, just is like in your face, you know, not sugar coated, just black and white and uh, the assessment tool to really go through there to help you determine whether you're in a bad relationship is I think very helpful. So I would encourage people if you're at that stage, I mean, I know some people on uh, who are probably watching or beyond that, but if you're, if you're in that mm -hmm. stage where you're trying to figure it out, I would, I would definitely encourage you to, uh, to check that out. Paul, appreciate you coming on, having the conversation. Uh, we should have uh, probably started with the, with the list of stuff at the beginning, but I still think we had a really good conversation, a lot of good comments in there. So anything else you want to throw out before you, before you head out? Yeah, I think, I think a big picture, and thank you for having me on, uh, Dwayne. I think this is an important topic. I know we started off talking about how jazzed we are in the music, and people watching might be like, well, I'm not jazzed. I'm in a situation that's really depressing me. So I think that's important to acknowledge as well. I acknowledge that. I understand that you might be in a situation that's really difficult. And I also know that you can get through it. I also know that you will get through it because you are doing the work right now. You are looking for shows, you are looking for information, you are looking for podcasts that shares things like this to help you through it. I've seen many clients in abusive relationships and get out of abusive relationships. Dwayne's talked to many clients. He's talked to thousands and thousands of people. He's been through this and keep listening to Dwayne, keep finding resources and keep educating yourself, know the terms you will get through this. And I'm not just saying that as a motivation. I'm saying that because I know it's true because you're watching this. If you weren't watching this, it might be a little bit more difficult. If you weren't looking for information, you know, watching anything or listening to anything, you're not looking for information. You're not getting anywhere. If you're looking for information and you're filling your head with all this information, there's going to be a moment where you apply it. I remember applying the first time that I honored my personal boundaries in front of my stepfather 
who was an alcoholic all my life and I always feared him. I had to, in my 40s, I mean, it took a long time for me to finally stand up to my stepfather and say no to him. No, you can't come in. Whoa, that's like, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And I call it taking a leap of faith and facing the consequences no matter what they are. So I accepted, and I'm not saying you should do this, but I accepted that he could probably punch me in the face if I told him no. That's That was my reality. And we make up our reality, by the way. Most of the time we think something's going to happen, but it doesn't. So we never honor ourselves. So I made up the reality that he was going to get angry, violent, and going to hurt me. But that day I decided to step into my power and face the music. If he was going to punch me, then he was going to punch me. But my character and my integrity were more important than anything else in that moment. And I stood up and I said, no, you can't come in. And he surprised me, he shrugged his shoulders and walked away. I was like, whoa, my reality this whole time has been him getting violent and angry. And he never did. So I want you to know, I mean, there are times you have to pick your battles, but I want you to know that you will get through this. Keep educating yourself. And that moment that you take the leap of faith is going to be so scary and empowering. And once you get past it, you can do it again and again and again. And it does get easier. Not saying it doesn't get uh, less scary. It's still scary sometimes, but it does get easier. And then you know you can do it. And then you can start trusting yourself again and rebuilding your self-worth and your self-esteem. And you'll make it. You'll do it. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you saying that. So on that, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I really appreciate it. I do want to say, uh, well, first this. I want to say thank you to all the channel members who make this stuff happen. Uh, They're scrolling on the screen. Thank you guys for uh, clicking the button and and supporting the channel financially and helping to keep the lights on and all that kind of stuff. So have a great rest of your day. I would encourage you to re-listen to this this podcast and check out the links that are in the show notes and the the, uh, description. 